Good morning, Eugene. Hey, how's it going? Going great. What topic do you have for us today? Make it seem like I think of these topics, huh? Uh, <laughs> uh, so I guess we sort of touched on, uh, I guess the greater topic would be called like wealth management. And I don't want to say that I have opinions about this because I don't have a lot of wealth to manage. But, uh, you know, I listen to podcasts and read little finance books sometimes. And I I, I guess the industry is sort of changing in a way that ma- makes me kind of hesitant to have any opinions. And my I've just sort of taken this approach of wait and see. And because I don't have a ton of money to manage, like, meaningfully, I'm sort of just hoping for the best and sticking with some like rules of thumb that I think are safe. But yeah, like it's a topic that I, I like talking about with like friends and people that aren't worried about talking about money, but it is sort of tricky because there's no guarantees and there's like a lot of opinions and historical precedent that most people don't know. So I think it's just an interesting topic to talk about yeah sure i also have a lot of opinions surprise surprise (laughs) so do you Um, do anything like interesting or weird with your wealth management (laughs) interesting or weird um that's one way to put it i guess um well outside the normal so i feel like and this is something that's kind of Related to the topic, um, I found that the millennial generation is a little bit more, I can DIY it or I can whatever. Um, And some of the companies play to that too, which makes me really sad. But at the same time, listen, there is a cycle of development for everyone. But anyway, um, the wealth management in general doesn't mean you have to have a ton of wealth. it starts with a little bit um, and compounding and, you know, growing it over the years makes a difference. And um, you don't have to have a lot of wealth to have it managed better. But I don't know, do you know the basics between like the kind of the, the difference between um, uh, broker dealer, registered investment advisor, that kind of stuff? So I don't know the difference between like all of the different licenses of professionals because i haven't like seen any um i know that uh like my opinion has always been to sort of have your investment accounts not part of your bank and that's and that's not really like a judgment on the people working as financial advisors part of you know whatever bank you go to I think that this push that you were talking about that millenniums um, sort of want to roll their own solution to finance comes from like the advance in technology. And there is this push to sort of open up uh, what used to be proprietary software that only like professionals could use to a person. So before you needed to, accounting stuff you needed to know which forms to print out or fax over or mail 
But now they have these web apps that sort of help help out the user in a way that like the accountant's trained and knows what all these forms mean. The program sort of tries to be the expertise and guide the user through a flow. And I found that banks just don't have really good websites and their like their apps are just not great. And for me, I like for better or worse, I just like want a phone app that works. And if I want to, you know, buy a stock, I want to buy a stock. I don't want to call a person. I don't want to deal with like an interface built in the nineties. And a lot of, a lot of finance stuff is really, really old. And yeah, true. And I mean, on the one hand, it's good that maybe they're being careful and not, you know, just being reckless with what they expose to the public. But on the other hand, there are other solutions, sort of like robo-advising, where you throw in money into a pot and you get some basic selections of like your risk factors. And they abstract almost too much, where they're like, hey, just put the money in here, trust us, it'll be fine. And and that's, I think that's like the other extreme, where you put money in a bucket and they promise to do something with it. And like I've tried the robo-investing thing and it's appealing because it's so simple. I just don't know how how much I should be involved in like, because I'm not a finance professional, but I want to like have a sense of where my money is and about what it's doing. So well, yeah, it's, it's like a weird time because things are changing to be more technology centric and giving the user more power. But at the same time, you can't expect people to be interested in all of these terms. And that's why you have these like super simple solutions where just like, ah, you know, this machine learning algorithm will buy ETFs for you. Well, ETFs are great, um, but I think that there should be, just like with accounting, um, there you can, you know, you certainly have an option to um, just plug the numbers into the software, but at the same time, um, nothing can replace an accountant who can actually create a strategy for you can actually look at your stuff and say, well, this doesn't seem right. Let's, let's take a look into this a little more um, and stuff like that. So same thing with investing. And it's actually same thing with a lot of things with, you know, medical, with legal and stuff like that. A lot of people try to DIY it and you can get away with it for some time, but then eventually um, there are stats that show like how much, let's say, people are losing when they DIY it. And for wealth management, and we're not talking about managing, you know, millions of dollars of wealth. We're talking about even 25,000, 50, 100,000. We're talking about like a pretty large range, I guess, or whatever, a wide range. Um, But basically um, with investments, the stats are that um, an individual investor who let's say, trades on their own, like you, um, typically underperforms um, the market by 2.56% or something like that. 
Um, and basically that's just one side of, of, of this, but basically, um, there are different, um, tools out there. There are ETFs, there are mutual funds, there are hedge funds, there, there is Bitcoin, there's either crypto that we talked about, but there's all these different opportunities, private equity, um, investment, but all these different opportunities, but you have to understand some, have some financial knowledge, I guess, um, to be able to, to, um, confidently make, make investment choices. But even then on average, you're still going to underperform the market if you were just to invest in an S and P index, for example. So on the other hand, I think that very few people like buy stocks with their disposable income and expect them to like be part of their wealth in the future. I think that a lot of people, and this is like from my experience, I don't know that many people. I think that again, if you own a house, that's probably your biggest sort of chunk of equity because every month you're paying your mortgage and eventually, you know, it'll get to some sizable chunk of money. And then the the 401k, if you work at a, like a regular sort of jobby job. And like, I mean, that's what it's like for me. Like if I buy a house and then I have this 401k, that's going to be the bulk of my money. And then I'll have like what an emergency fund of just like savings. And sure. Like I like playing around with different apps and buying you know, a, a stock or two here or investing in a mutual fund or doing like the robo advisor. But those, those amounts, at least for me now are like very small, like hundreds of dollars. I don't think I have anything over $2,000 in any of these sort of discretionary investment, um, like platforms. And I, I, I don't see myself having a lot of money in like single stocks, for example, like I, I could see me having a, a good amount of money in my 401k, which is distributed among a couple like of like the best funds that I was able to pick from like the company's offering. And like, yeah, I, like I, I can't imagine a world where I have a significant amount of money in like single stocks or in this robo advising thing. And I guess you can at some point argue what is significant where like, yeah, if I have a thousand dollars in, uh, what did I use? Uh, Betterment, which is one of these robo advisors. And I, I set up an auto deposit a couple of years ago for a hundred dollars a month. And it just like goes in there. And as far as I can tell, I don't even, I don't know what it's doing. It, I, I have like a hard time pulling any reports, knowing what the percent is. I don't, I don't love it. And I could be using it wrong, but, it's just not a significant amount of money for me to like think about. And same thing with a house and my 401k. It's such a long-term sort of plan that if I'm confident that, and I do like the every single year where they're like, Hey, you know, it's that time to renew your health insurance. I look at the, I think I have like five or six funds that I selected and I make sure that their 10 year average is still the highest uh, like rate of return out of all the choices that I have, which isn't many. So if you want financial advice from me, that's the only thing I do. I, I just look at the funds that I put money into and make sure that they are 
the best funds over a long period of time that I have access to. And, and you know, diversify. So, like, have five or six different ones. And then every year I compare it to the, what is it called? Like, the age-based retirement option, where they, they sort of mess with it. And as as you get older, they have more and more bonds. And that, I, th- I think it's fine. I think if you're off by, like, 2 3 5% over the course of your career, I think if you invest consistently, I think it'll be fine. <laughs> like I'm not I'm not looking to be super rich. You but should. I think but like what does super rich even mean? Like if I have five million dollars in my retirement account That's nothing. When I retire, that that might be nothing compared to like a Jeff Bezos sort of trillionaire level. But like what do well, I what do I need? <laughs> Okay, so let's say three three million. What did you say? Five million? Sure. So five million dollars. I mean, it's not that much money. It's not as much as you think. No, Um, I'm not saying it is a lot. What time? What do you think? What what age do you think you're going to retire? I don't. Like I don't. I don't. I don't think about it because I. I feel like I don't. I want you to think about it. I mean, I would. I would like to. Well. Okay, so the way that I think about retirement is that I I work at a corporate job and I want to work here till like uh, until I decide that I can take a pay cut and do something else. So like I will continue in my career in like software and all this stuff and then I'm hoping that my retirement will be me doing something else, almost like a second career. So what I, age do you think you'll retire? Just like give me a number. Like honestly, I could see it being like relatively soon where <laughs> like I, I like I paid off my student loans, I tried the corporate thing. I tried like living in Manhattan and and doing all that. And like I don't I'm not competitive. I don't have this like urge to become EVP of some big company. And like the only reason I had this corporate job was to pay back my student loans. And, and now that, now that that's sort of done, I'm thinking, well, you know, if you want a house or you want to go on vacations, if that's ever allowed, or maybe I want a car. So these are all expenses that I'm still like thinking about. And you do sort of need a big income to afford like to go on vacations and to have a nice house and all that. But the more I think about it, the less I want, any of those things and the trade-off becomes not really worth it. So now I'm thinking, like, okay, what am, what am I more passionate about? I'm trying to like read more books to like broaden my awareness of my own interests. <laughs> and I, th- I think that as a whole, I don't actually need a lot of money. Well, eventually you will grow up. I promise you. Um, and eventually you will change your mind. Um, and that's so. okay. That's, that's, Normal. That's the plan, right? Yeah, that's the whole point, I guess. But um, um, right now, I mean, don't be one of those people, and that this applies to anyone who's listening. Uh, don't be one of those people who, like, takes a pay cut and then their family lives basically paycheck to paycheck for a number of years. Like, that's 
That's awful. I've seen people do that and it's just, it's diminishing their families because all of a sudden they decided, oh, I'm just going to follow my passion, do something interesting, but everybody else, we're going to basically not be able to go on vacation for 10 years or whatever. Don't do that. Don't be one of those people because you can start following your passion without jeopardizing your um, lifestyle. So just remember, you talked about in one of the previous um, discussions that we've had, you talked about, or offline discussions, you talked about, you know, providing a lifestyle for your wife or having life insurance and whatever. Think about it. Think about it when you make those decisions too, because it affects not only you, but everybody else too. Right. Of course. Like if, if you're in a, a family situation or you have people that rely on you for something, you don't want to make a big sort of change without consulting and adjusting and all that. But just like looking at my expenses, I expend the vast majority of what we make. And it's all on like random sort of toys that I'm buying myself. And I like the toys, (laughs) but like I can cut all of that down fairly, fairly quickly to the point where like, I, I don't, I don't have any fancy tastes that require a ton of money. Well, right. And and you never know what's going to happen. And if I decide in 20 years that I really want, uh, I don't know, a helicopter <laughs> like that, I, I will have to you know, switch my lifestyle to be able to afford it. But now I'm looking at houses in my area and like, it is nice that I have like the New York city salary and I'm looking for a, like a house very far away from the city. So like, it's very affordable. And if we do want to stay here in this town, like the average income here is pretty low and that's not because people are poor. It's just because things don't cost as much. You don't have to go like bar hopping every day. You just sort of like sit in your house and you like work on your house. You do like things with your friends. They're, they're not very expensive activities and the houses here aren't like crazy expensive. So I think you never know what's going to happen in the future. And if in the future you do need to like make more money, it's, it's, I guess I'm not saying it's easy to make money, but there are certain jobs that pay more. And like, if I needed a lot of money very quickly, I, I know which jobs that I would apply for if I wanted more, but I also see jobs that I think that I'd want to try that on average don't pay as much, but they're still way above the average income of like the area we're trying to live in. So if I make 200% more than the average person in the area, and that goes down to now I make 150% more than the average person in our area, I don't think that that really matters in terms of like day-to-day lifestyle. Well, I guess, um, but, you know, like I said, you will grow up uh, eventually. And um, there will come a time when you'll no longer feel comfortable. Um, basically, you won't want to lose money um, investing investing this stuff um, on your own. And there will come a time when you'll seek help. It's inevitable. That's what happens when we grow up and we get more serious, you know, when we're young, we think that we can do all of it on our own and stuff like that. It doesn't always work. I mean, it works for a couple of years, but then you realize, oh, I've been overpaying taxes for all the, you know, all this time, for example. Um, 
and it's just like you get disappointed and um and then you do engage a good professional to help you out with that with wealth management um there are options to certainly do it on on your own uh, what i don't like and i agree with you kind of on banks um I don't like bank advisors, especially big bank advisors, um, because um, usually, at least the banks that I know, so I'm not going to say usually, I'm not going to say most, because I don't know if that's the case. But um, what I know is big banks often are what's called a broker-dealer. What that means is that they get kickbacks, basically, for recommending a certain um fund or certain stock to you well, that sounds and i don't like that like a commission well no that's actually kickbacks they're forcing and i remember this happened to me and it happened to my husband as well uh, certainly um before when um let's say a one of the bigger banks um advisor wealth advisors and they change all the time by the way at the big banks which is interesting don't know why but um I guess they just hop uh, from from bank to bank, but anyway, um, they're recommending something. They go on vacations. They get expensive kickbacks. I mean, that doesn't always happen, but it happens fairly often. Um, and basically, <clears throat> what happens is um, they recommend something that gives them the bigger kickback, as opposed to something that works better for you. There is an opposite side of that um, too, which. Um, which is called uh, basically a fiduciary. A fiduciary relationship um, is basically when, um, when the financial advisor um, gets a percentage of assets under management, um, and it doesn't matter which stocks, like it doesn't matter what the performance is in a sense that um, they are not affected by their, their, obviously their fees are affected by the performance, so they're motivated, but at the same time, they're obligated to, act in the best interest of the client. And that's the setup that I really like because it aligns with my, um, with my values. Um, I always, you know, in my work, I, I always pursue, pursue that. I always act in the best interest of the client. And, um, it's just, it's interesting that there is a difference in the financial advisors on, on that. All right. How about, how about, have this this take i'm not sure how correct it is what if you don't trust someone with um like your money but you treat them as an advisor and their job is to sort of advise you and educate you and they're supposed to be like a teacher that has experience and they educate you and then once you feel comfortable with a certain investment that's when you like make the purchase or, you know, decide to invest in this thing. So I, I'm, I'm very skeptical about, Oh, just trust me. I'll treat your money. Right. I'm, I'm more looking for an advisor that will help me choose what to do. So it's never them investing on my behalf. It's them educating me and then me making a choice with their guidance. Correct. That's, that's sort of what, how I think about it. And that's what fiduciaries do. Um, that's where fiduciaries, so like I recently signed up, um, and it's been kind of in the works for a couple of years because it just seems like a natural continuation of the service that I provide. 
but I signed up with the firm because I had my one of my um, licenses, securities licenses, um, for about two years. I just never parked it anywhere. So finally parked it with a firm that's a part of the another network where tax planners are. And it just seems natural continuation because I work with a client basically to, you know, get their books done, get their taxes filed, but also I work with them to save them more tax. And then the next step would be to invest that money to multiply the savings, right? Um, so I signed up with these with this um, investment company, and they are a registered investment advisor, so they are fiduciaries. And what I like about this, this setup, and it's kind of addresses what you're talking about, is that um, they're all for transparency. Um, they have six or seven programs. The portfolio changes sometimes. One of the portfolios changes more often because every time there's a change in portfolio, just so you know, um, of, of stocks or ETFs or whatever whatever the portfolio is, um, when they sell the security, they drive the price down. When they buy the security, um, they drive the price up. So every time there is a rebalancing of the portfolio, um, there is, a, well, it's it's not as efficient uh, com you know, compared to the market. Because you you basically end up losing a little bit more money on certain securities and, and driving costs up for other securities. Um, but anyway, so I signed up with this company to offer this as a service. It's basically a done-for-me service, meaning that the investment company manages manages it. They have this portfolio types set up. And depending on where the person is in their life, like how far they're, they're from retirement, how risk averse or not they are, they offer basically different types of portfolios and transparency is the number one thing. And I like that about, you know, about this company. So um, there's definitely um, a spectrum, I guess you would call it, right? Um, there's definitely a spectrum of things um, when it comes to investment advice. And you're right, that's not how it should be. It, you, it shouldn't be like, oh, take, give us our money and trust us. We're, we're going to manage it really well for you. That doesn't work for, I don't think it works for anyone really. Um, <laughs> usually investment, like wealth management relationships are personal relationships, meaning you actually like the person that you um, trust or whatever. But fiduciary relationships, when, when the advisor is a fiduciary, um, that's where transparency is everything. And there, I mean, obviously are different types, different kinds of people and stuff like that. But often the fiduciary ones are really cool because they are transparent and you know exactly what's happening. You know exactly what portfolio is being invested in and stuff like that. Yeah. I mean, these people are your advisors, your employees. So it is on you to manage them even though most people don't think about accountants and financial advisors as like their employees, but they sort of are just like doctors. Like, yeah, they are professionals in their own right, but you are hiring them for their expertise. Well, they're not, I wouldn't call them employees, but I would call them being on your team. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, talk. <laughs> great conversation, Eugene, and I'll talk to you next week. See you.